I came across something this week. You know, it's the the anniversary of the tenth anniversary of uh, Hurricane Katrina hitting New Orleans, uh, and this is a, a urgent weather <coughs> message that was actually issued the day before Katrina hit. This is from the National Weather Service, and it's not their it's not their usual sort of announcement. Uh, devastating damage expected. Hur- Hurricane Katrina. A most powerful hurricane with unprecedented strength, rivaling the intensity of Hurricane Camille of 1969. Most of the area will be uninhabitable for weeks, perhaps longer. At least one half of well-constructed homes will have roof and wall failure. All gabled roofs will fail, leaving those homes severely damaged or destroyed. The majority of industrial buildings will become non-functional. Partial to complete wall and roof failure is expected. All wood-framed, low-rising apartment buildings will be destroyed. Concrete block, low-rise apartments will sustain major damage, including some wall and roof failure. High-rise office and apartment buildings will sway dangerously, a few to the point of total collapse. All windows will will blow out. Airborne debris will be widespread and may include heavy items such as household appliances and even light vehicles. Sport utility vehicles and light trucks will be moved. The blown debris will create additional destruction. Persons, pets, and livestock exposed to the winds will face certain death if struck. Power outages will last for weeks as most power poles will be down and transformers destroyed. Water shortages will make human suffering incredible by modern standards. That, that is the scariest thing the National Weather Service has ever put out. That is not like 50% chance of rain, which is what they usually say. That is a serious warning that was issued the day before Hur- Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans 10 years ago. Now, as we know now, most of the damage was actually not from the wind. Most of the damage was actually from the water, but they were very accurate in terms of, the, of seeing that this is going to be widespread and massive destruction and suffering and loss of life. What would you have done 10 years ago if you had been in New Orleans and heard that warning? What, what would you have done if you had heard that warning? Would you have left or would you have tried to ride the storm out? Uh, We know that there were some who tried to leave and unfortunately were unable to leave, but there are also those who simply ignored the warning and stayed. Uh, The scripture we're about to read this morning shows us that there's not a, a natural disaster that's headed for us. There's not a hurricane headed for us, but there's actually someone, an incredibly powerful supernatural being. There's a someone who wishes to do us great harm. But the scripture also shows us how we can protect ourselves against this being and how we don't have to flee, but we can actually stand firm and stand strong and prevail against this enemy. The question for us this morning, though, is 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 will we acknowledge this enemy and will we actually enter into battle with him? So that said, let me read uh, from God's word. I'm actually not going to read all this, but we'll read verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought. Now, uh, at this point, you can see where I was going with the Katrina thing. And you may be thinking, well, okay, that, that's a little over the top. Um, that's a little bit of a stretch to com- compare the, the Satan and his demons to a Category 5 hurricane. I mean, come on, those are, those are different things. We're rational people. We know there are rational explanations for things. Don't try to scare us with all this devil stuff. You know, we kind of in our culture, when we think of the devil, we think of the guy in a little red suit. Uh, If you're old enough, we think of Dana Dana Carvey saying, could it be Satan? Like we kind of make fun uh, of Satan and don't take him that seriously. Uh, We're a, a modern, advanced, rational culture. And we have rational explanations for everything. And when you combine that with sort of our overall resistance to having any moral absolutes in our culture, we don't think we need a villain. We don't feel like we need a bad guy to explain things. In fact, we're starting to lose even categories to explain the why of evil. Uh, Think about some of the ways we we try to explain bad things. We blame things on people taking drugs. We blame things on people not taking drugs drugs like it's one or the other on pathologies on how your family raised you uh, on your lack of education excuse me uh, on the fact that you were raised too poor on the fact that you were raised too too rich Uh, we we come up with all these explanations of why people behave the way they behave and it's not that some of those things can't contribute it's not that some of those things don't shape the way and the forms that evil comes in but they miss the underlying cause, and we're left with no way to really talk about evil and where it comes from. Uh, some of you remember several years ago the movie Silence, Silence of the Lambs. Uh, Jodie Foster plays Officer Starling, who's sent to meet serial killer Hannibal Lecter, uh, played by Anthony Hopkins. And, and she says, what happened to make him so twisted? What happened to make him so cruel? And he hears her, and you know, you, you can hear Anthony Hopkins with this. He hears her and he says, Nothing happened to me, Officer Starling. I happened. You can't reduce me to a set of influences. You've given up good and evil for behaviorism, Officer Starling. 
You've got everyone in moral dignity pants. Nothing is ever anybody's fault. Look at me. Can you stand to say, I'm evil? Havel was saying to her, and he's saying to us as well, there's more to it than the things that influence me. There's something deeper. And the Bible says that something deeper, deeper is actually sin. That sin and evil are here because God's creatures rebelled against their creator. Uh, the, the angelic beings that God created rebelled against God and these fallen angels, uh, Satan and his demon, are now these, these evil, personal, supernatural beings that Paul refers to in our text. Humans turned away too. They rebelled against God. And so now sin and evil are part of us and in our hearts as well. And so yes, there are factors out there in the environment that shape the way our sin expresses itself. But the ultimate cause is in our hearts. And there is this, this personal evil being who wants to see us follow that sin and evil. He wants us to delight in that sin and evil and embrace it. Uh, Paul, you may remember this earlier in Ephesians in chapter 2. He even went so far as to say, At one time, you, Christian, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Saying, you at one time were actually under the power and influence of this being, whether you knew it or not. You were under the power and influence of Satan. But now, the good news is you've made alive with God. You've been connected to Jesus Christ. Your sins have been forgiven through faith in Him. You're a new creation. You're on God's side. You're no longer His enemy. But guess what? That makes you Satan's enemy. You, you switch sides, and, and he's not happy about that. Uh, and P Peter says that Satan now prowls, a lot, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to destroy, to devour. Paul says there's this host of evil supernatural beings that we have to wrestle with because they're scheming against us as believers. You probably heard the, the C.S. Lewis quote. C.S. Lewis said one time, there are two equal but opposite errors we can fall into regarding the devils. He said one is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. And, you know, there are Christians that spend too much time thinking about this stuff, right? Um, you know, they're, they're trying to cast demons out of toasters and, and transmissions and computers, and it, it can get kind of silly, uh, they attribute almost everything that happens bad to, to Satan in some way. But, but I don't really think that's our problem in our kind of little corner of, of the Christian world. That's not the direction we tend to go in. Uh, ours is either to disbelieve in Satan or to, to think that Satan is just kind of irrelevant. And like, okay, yeah, I know he exists and he's causing trouble, but what does that have to do with me, really? Um, there's, a, there's a television show called Hell on Wheels, that, that I've been, been trying to work my way through. And it, in this show, there's an ex-Confederate soldier, uh, Mr. Bohannon, and he's helping to build the railroad across the American West. Uh, and he's wrestling the whole time with his own demons, with, uh, with his own sins, with the things that he struggles with. 
But he's also wrestling with this railroad tycoon named Mr. Durant. And so we kind of see him wrestling. I kind of see that symbolic of him wrestling with his own flesh, with him wrestling with the world and Mr. Durant. But there's also this character named the Swede, and the Swede is just evil. He's just, he's just, he's just vile and disgusting and, and all these things. And he's wrestling with him as well. Well, at the end of the season, I think it's season one, the Swede kind of disappears. And you think, well, we're done with the Swede, and what's going to happen from here? Well, guess what? He's still around, and he's coming back. And he's going to cause trouble before the series is over with. He's plotting evil. I, I think we tend to think of Satan kind of like we think of the, the or kind of like the way we, we look at the Swede and Hell on Wheels. Yeah, he was really bad. He was a bad dude, but he's been defeated by Jesus, and now we don't have to worry about him because he's not going to cause any more trouble. But we forget that while he's taking a bullet to the chest and he's bleeding out and he's going to die, he's not dead yet. And he's still capable of wreaking a whole lot of havoc in our lives and in the world. And Satan likes nothing better than to see Christians miserable and unhappy and struggling in their walk with Christ. He, he, he wants you to doubt your salvation. He wants to pull you into sin. He's against you. And really, that, that's all my first point really is. All right, is for us to, to grasp that there really is this powerful enemy who is set against us, who wants to harm us, and the, the Bible does warn us about him. And I think the question for us is, are we going to take that seriously? Are we just going to kind of view him as this cartoonish character, this Saturday Night Live skit, out of sight, out of mind? And so point number one is simply that as believers, we do have a powerful enemy. Now, second, this enemy has a plan and we need to be familiar with it. Paul refers here to uh, put, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The schemes of the devil. Second um, Corinthians uh, 2, Paul says, we would not be outwitted by Satan for we are not ignorant of his designs. Like we're, we're aware of his schemes and his designs. Uh, Bobby Petrino is the coach of the Louisville Cardinals, and they're playing uh, Auburn in the, the, the Georgia Dome this Saturday in one of the first college football games of the fall. Uh, and he made the comment the other day, he said, we've been getting ready for Auburn since Christmas. Since Christmas, they've been getting ready for this one football game. He doesn't want to be caught by surprise, right? He wants to try to be aware of his enemy's schemes, so he's trying to become familiar with his opponents. He doesn't want to be caught by surprise. Are we serious about knowing Satan's game plan? Like, I don't even know if that really even, <clears throat> like, enters into our radar screen, really. When we're thinking about sanctification, when we're thinking about how we need to grow, we, we think about, yeah, I've got a battle the sin within me and the world's going to tempt me but but satan do we really think about how he comes at us uh, there's a there's a book many years ago 1652 actually uh, thomas brooks wrote called precious remedies for satan's devices and and listen to what he said in this book he said christ the scripture your own heart 
And Satan's devices are the four prime things that should be first and most studied and searched. Really interesting. Like, well, we don't think about that. Christ, yeah. The scriptures, yeah. My own hearts, yeah. Satan's devices, he, he puts in that same list, that we ought to be aware of Satan's devices. And then what he does is that he breaks the book up into sections and he kind of lists out uh, how Satan tries to trip us up. Like here, what he sees is some of Satan's devices. And I want to I kind of, for, for a couple of minutes, work through some of these. And this is where note-taking people are going to be at an advantage for this section. Um, because these are some of the things you're probably going to want to come back and, and think about some more. Well, let's get the, the three big headings, and then I'll, I'll give some examples that he uses from some of these. Uh, number one, he talks about Satan's devices to draw us into sin. Satan's devices to draw us into sin. And then he lists 12 of these, but I'm not going to list all 12, so don't, don't worry. Um, secondly, he lists Satan's devices to keep us from our religious duties. Satan's devices to keep us from our religious duties. And then thirdly, Satan's devices to keep saints in a sad, doubting, and uncomfortable condition. All right, to kind of just kind of get us down on ourselves. Say. So, let me go through a few of these examples. So number one, Satan's devices to draw us into sin. All right, number one, he says, by presenting the bait but hiding the hook. By presenting the bait but hiding the hook. In other words, what's he saying? Uh, Satan knows how to fish. And he knows how to fish for you. He knows what your particular weaknesses are. And he'll design that lure accordingly to trip you up. This is why if you've been having a real struggle with lust and then suddenly you think you're doing better and Victoria's Secret shows up in the mailbox. This is why you're, you're struggling with your relationship with your husband and then suddenly that cute guy at work comes up and he listens to you so much better than your husband has been listening to you. He really understands you. This is why when you've been struggling with pride, suddenly there are all these people gathered around who want to flatter you and tell you how great you are. But, but Satan shows us that bait and we see how good it looks, but what we don't see is that we're going to get caught and, and killed and cleaned and, and eaten and all these things. Now, Brooks suggests these devices, but he also suggests some remedies. And I, I'll just read some of these. Um, one of his suggestions is don't play with the bait. All right? Don't play with the bait. Remember sin is bittersweet. Remember sin is deceitful and bewitching. In other words, he's saying... When you see that attractive bait, keep in mind that you're being lied to. Keep in mind the consequences of that sin. A, a, a second way he tries to draw us into sin, by presenting sin with virtue's colors. Now, now, what's he mean by that? What that means is we're tempted to say, it's not greed, I'm just being frugal and responsible. I'm not really being greedy. All right? It's not drunkenness. I'm just enjoying fellowship with other people. All right, so that's another way he tries to trip us up, by presenting sin with virtue's colors. Number three, he says, by extenuating and lessening of sin. In other words, we say things like, it's just a little pride. It's just a little worldliness. It's just a little lust. It's just a little greed. It's just a little cheating. Uh, Brooks says, for remedies, says, remember that the giving way to a small sin opens the door to bigger sins. 
And then he says, and I, I found this interesting, there's often no greater danger, there, excuse me, there's often greater danger in the smaller sin. There's often greater danger in the smaller sin. Little sins often slide into the soul and breed and work secretly and undiscernibly in the soul till they come out to be so strong as to trample upon the soul and to cut the throat of the soul. So, that's kind of fun. Um, another thing he suggests that Satan does by presenting God to the soul as the one made up all of mercy. In other words, he wants us to remember God's mercy, but he wants us to forget about the fact that God is also a just God. Uh, he tempts us by persuading the soul that repentance is easy, and therefore the soul need not scruple about sinning. I can, I can repent whenever. It's not that hard to repent. I can do this now, then I can go back and repent later. And Brooks reminds us, Repentance is actually difficult. It's actually a work beyond your own power. He reminds us, yeah, Satan is going to suggest that repentance is easy, but shortly after he's going to be he's going to presenting repentance as the hardest thing in the world. I can never repent. That's that's so hard. And he's just going to switch up on you and play with you to fit how you're you're doing at the particular moment. Uh, and then sixth, he says, by causing saints to compare themselves, by causing saints to compare themselves to others and saying, well, at least I'm better than them. Like, I'm, I, yeah, I got some struggles, but I'm not, I'm not that bad. And so the focus just gets to be in this comparison game. So those are some of the ways, he says, that Satan tries to draw us into sin. Those are some of his schemes that we need to be aware of and we need to think of those things when, when we're tempted. We need to think about what's happening. Uh, he says, Satan also has ways though, to keep us from our religious duties. And I'll just do a couple of these. By presenting the world as so attractive as to ensnare the soul. It's a great day to go fishing. It's a great day to, to, to do whatever, to go hiking. I don't, I don't really need to be with God's people in worship. Sports Center is on. I need to check my Facebook status. Is it, is, do I really need to read the Bible right now? And he reminds us, hey, remember where true happiness comes from at the end of the day. A second way he keeps us from our duties is by telling us how hard it's going to be and how dangerous it's going to be to actually follow Jesus. If you take a stand, people are going to make fun of you. If you take a stand, there are going to be consequences. If you take a stand, there may be monetary consequences. And then he says he keeps us from our duties by presenting to the soul the difficulty of those duties. Ah, reading scripture, I just, it's so hard. Memorizing scripture takes so much time, and I just don't have time, and other things are easier, and Satan's going to keep bouncing that off of you. The other thing he'll do, and Brooks don't talk about this, but he'll distract you. He'll distract you with people working outside. Uh, go, go tell those guys they're Satan's minions later. They'll like that. That's how we practice evangelism at Grace. Um, but like, like if you start trying to do family devotions or something that you've never done them before, I promise you you'll start getting phone calls and text messages right when you sit down with your family to do this. Like, like without hesitation. He'll try to distract you from, from your religious duties. Uh, and then now the third big category. Satan's devices to keep saints in a sad, doubting, and uncomfortable condition. And I think this one is really interesting because um, 
we, we probably think about number one from time to time, like Satan's trying to tempt me, like, you know, get away from me, Satan. We think about that. And we may think about number two. He's trying to keep me from doing the things that I'm supposed to do. But I don't think we think about this one as much. Like, he wants you to be sad and miserable and doubting. I'm not good enough. I'm such a failure. I'm no good to anybody. God could never use me. Is he really going to forgive my sins? He wants you to be like that. Here's what Brooks says. He does this by causing saints to remember their sins more than their Savior. By causing saints to remember their sins more than their Savior. Satan wants you to think about your sin more than, than you think about Jesus who's forgiven your sin. And so when Satan accuses us, we have to flee to the gospel. We have to flee to Jesus. We have to go back to the good news, to the assurance of forgiveness, that in Christ there is no condemnation, that our sins have been forgiven in Him. They've been charged to Jesus' account. They've been paid in full. And when, so when Satan shows up acting like a bill collector, we tell him, go away. Go away. Jesus is not holding my sin against me any longer. He has paid for it. Uh, a second way he says Satan does this is by causing saints to make false inferences from the cross actings of providence. And what he means by that is we say, wow, things are going bad. That must mean God doesn't like me very much. God doesn't love me. God doesn't care about me. I'm not really his. And for remedies, Brooks says to remember that God's hand may be against a man when his love and heart are actually set on him. He may be testing him. He may be trying him. And that doesn't mean anything about whether he loves him or not. Secondly, he says, God sends hard providences to work great good. That actually, that's, that's the way he, he loves us and changes us uh, and conforms us to the image of Christ. It's actually through some of the hard things that we go through. So that doesn't mean that he doesn't love us. And then thirdly, he says, he, he tries to get us in this condition by reminding a saint of his frequent relapses of sin formerly repented of and prayed against. Like, oh, you messed up again. You messed up again. You prayed about that and now you, you've done it again. And Brooks says for a remedy, relapses trouble many saints in Scripture. God nowhere promises that we won't have relapses. The most renowned saints have had relapses. No experience of the soul, however high or deep, can in itself secure the soul against relapses. And, do you, you know, you, you've heard the saying that a preacher's job is, you may have heard this, is to comfort the afflicted and, and to the afflict the comfortable. To comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And you can kind of hear Brooks doing that in these, Right? You, you can hear him afflicting people who are a little bit too comfortable in their sin, but comforting people who are just overwhelmed by it and sense what a sinner they are. Satan wants to do the opposite with you. He wants to keep you comfortable when you're comfortable in sin. And when you're feeling guilty and afflicted, he wants you to feel more guilty and afflicted. He wants to pile on you. It, it, he, <clears throat> When, you, when you're doubting that, that God loves you, he, he wants you to keep doubting that. Or that you're worthy of his love. Or that your faith is real. 
Satan wants you to afflict, wants to afflict you more. He wants you to see your guilt so much that it keeps you from actually confessing your sin. He wants you to use your shame to keep you from getting the help that is yours in Christ and in the body of Christ. He wants you to think Christianity is actually about being good. He wants you to think that people will reject you if they actually knew everything about you. If they knew the real you. He wants to keep you from confessing your sin and bringing it into the light where you can actually find healing and forgiveness. Do you see what's going on? Do you see what's going on? When you're about to click on a web page that you shouldn't. When you're beating yourself up about what a poor job you feel like you're doing as a parent. Satan is at work in both of those situations. He's at work in both of those situations. Bringing every weapon that he has in his arsenal to draw you away from Christ and the hope that is yours in the gospel. So, I want to encourage you this week. When you're wrestling with your sin, when you're wrestling with reading the scripture, when you're wrestling with guilt and shame, don't just see yourself and your flesh. Don't just think about why the world is drawing me into this. But you need to see that there is an enemy He's working against you. And you need to resist that enemy. Uh, it's said that you can go, and I guess this is in a, a place where Martin Luther studied, but that you can go today and see an ink blot on the wall of his study. And that's where he one time was really just feeling the temptation that Satan was pouring on him. And he was just vividly aware of the, the reality of Satan. And he took the inkwell and he threw it at Satan. And it left this stain on the wall there. Now, what was Luther doing when he, when he sensed this great attack from Satan? He was trying to translate the Bible into German. He was trying to translate the Bible in, into the, the common language of the people. It was one of the, the most important, most spiritual things that Martin Luther would ever do. And there was Satan, right in the midst of that, opposing him and resisting him. Y'all, we're trying to plant a church. I don't think Satan's happy about that. He doesn't want there to be a Grace Presbyterian church. He doesn't want to be. He doesn't want there to be another place where the gospel is being preached in Spartanburg. He'll resist it. He'll try to get us frustrated with with the pace at which it's going. He'll try to get us frustrated with one another. He'll try to get us tangled up in our sin and, and forget about what we're trying to do here. And we need to be aware of that. Not so that we can throw ink wells at him. Uh, maybe we can throw an iPhone at him or somebody else's iPhone at him, not mine. Uh, but, 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 but we need to be aware of him and to resist him. How do we do that? Well, that's next week. It's two parts. Uh, that's next week. But, but let me say this real quick as, as we close. Paul says... Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Some other translations say, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Our ability to resist Satan flows out of our connection with Jesus Christ. And the power that enables us to resist him is not our power, it's his power. And the weapons we use to resist him are not our weapons, they're his weapons. And they revolve around things like the word, hearing it, reading it listening to it, storing in our hearts, trusting it. 
They revolve around things like prayer, expressing our weakness and our need for help and our acknowledging that we can't do this on our own. They revolve around the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for us and Jesus loved us and he's for us. Standing strong involves preaching the gospel to ourselves daily. Yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, I'm afraid. Yes, this is hard. But Jesus died for sinners. Jesus promised not to leave me or forsake me. And so I'm going to believe him and I'm going to lean into him. Uh, this, this past Friday night was a victory for dad TV in our house. Um, I, I'm always accused of like my shows are too dark and gritty and so we can't watch them and that's probably true. But, but I, I finally found one that was kind of thrilling that we could all watch together, at least the first episode, uh, and that was The Blacklist. Uh, and in the, the first episode of The Blacklist, this little girl is kidnapped uh, and there's an FBI agent there with her as she's kidnapped and she says to her as she's being kidnapped, go with them, they're not going to hurt you, I'm coming to find you. And then at the end of the episode, we see the little girl sitting in a zoo with a bomb strapped to her back, about to blow up, and the FBI agent finds her. She keeps her word to the little girl. Your, and I'm not going to tell you what happened, sin, your, your sin may be great, your discouragement may be great, but if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, even though sometimes it feels like you've been left in the clutches of Satan, sometimes it feels like you've been left with a bomb on your back sitting in the park and there's nothing you can do about it, Jesus will keep his word to you. Jesus will keep his word to you. He's paid the price for your sin, and it can never be held against you again. And even though he doesn't promise us that we won't suffer hurt or loss in this life, he promises one day that all that hurt and loss will come undone and you'll be with him and everything everything will finally be right with the world lean into that lean into him and you'll be able to stand against the enemy let me pray for us uh, Father I pray that we would be aware of who our enemy is and that we would not take him lightly, uh, that we would not ignore him, that we would not think he is silly. But I pray also that we would not uh, unnecessarily fear him. Because while we have a great enemy, we have a greater hero. We have a greater savior in Jesus. And so I pray, Lord, that you would teach us to be aware of Satan and his schemes, but to resist them not in our own strength, but in the strength and the power of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.